This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Mark Yusko, the CEO and CIO at Morgan Creek. We're about to have a very important conversation about the day and the economy and the markets, about the virus and everything else that's happening right now. What an extraordinary time in our lives. So enjoy. Remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice, and please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear a great conversation with Mark Yusko. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer, and it's going to be a very important one. I have Mark Yusko, the CEO and Chief Investment Officer at Morgan Creek, with me today. Mark is a legend in the space, and he has been in the asset management and financial markets for decades. We're going to be talking about everything that's happening in the financial markets today, as they are roiled yet again. We are seeing the VIX at almost 2008 levels. We are seeing liquidity issues. We are seeing WTI below 30 or $31 a barrel. We were seeing the impacts of a pandemic, and there's lots to talk about, and Mark is a great person to lean in on and hear his opinion about what's happening out there. So Mark, I wish we were in better terms on today, that we could talk about all sorts of things about Bitcoin and digital assets, and I imagine we will, because there's a place and a time for that, especially in what's happening today. But let's let's hear from you, Mark. I know it's a, it's a sigh right now. It's not feeling good. You know, those of us that have been in the financial markets for more than a decade that lived through 2007, 8, and 9, never wanted to see that happen. Um, and I feel bad for people that are experiencing that now because it wasn't a pleasant feeling back then when I was younger. So tell us, Mark, what's what are you hearing? You know, you've been tweeting a little bit this in the last 12 hours or so. You know, what Get, bring us to up to speed. What has happened over the last few weeks that have led us to this point today where we're starting to see some real issues, especially within regards to liquidity and credit? Yeah, no, David, great to be with you this morning. Uh, who would have thunk it that this would be an historic day? I mean, literally, this will be a day we read about in the, in the history books um, where I think we're, we're officially going to usher in global financial crisis 2.0. So... And, and, and I don't say that lightly. I, I'm not happy about it. I, I'm with you, the heavy sigh to start the day. Uh, my heavy sigh really started, to your point, uh, a couple weeks ago when you started to see the beginnings of the Minsky moment uh, appear. And, you know, Hyman Minsky was this famous economist, and, and he came up with this hypothesis that uh, you know, the absence of something actually creates its presence. And it's, it's really not that different from Soros reflexivity in the sense that uh, the, the things that happen in the world impact the things around them, and it becomes either a self-reinforcing, a virtuous cycle, and that's what you see in a bull market, or a vicious cycle, a self-defeating cycle on the, on the opposite side, that's a bear market, and so, you know, Minsky moment is, is this thing where, you know, you, you've gone so long without a hurricane that suddenly when the hurricane arrives, it's a doozy. Or you've gone so long without a correction in markets that when it finally arrives, it's a doozy. And, and you, you saw really interesting signs of it that you see around every major peak in, in markets. And uh, this was in the you know, late stages of, of February, 
where you had, you know, you've had bear baiting going on or bear mocking going on for a long time, right? That, that's, that's been, you know, fair and actually justified in the QE era. The markets just continued to go up and everybody who worried about valuation kind of was worthy of ridicule, myself included. And, uh, but it came to a, a really big head right around the, the last week of, of February and even one famous bear finally capitulated. And he finally said, you know what? Fine, we're going to 3,500 and uh, the bull market's never going to stop. And that's a bad sign. So that was kind of, you know, signal number one. So, so then you also had the, the totally, um, you know, ridiculous stuff coming out of, of people like, you know, the, the tweeter in chief's son, who has, who has no experience and no knowledge about markets saying that everybody should should load up and, and go all in, that's not going to age well. That was literally the day of, of the peak. So that, that was another bad sign. But, but you, David, bring up a really important point that um, what also happened was we, we got this catalyst. And this catalyst was not the virus itself. You know, look, the, the virus is is a bad virus. It, it, it does have a, a mortality rate that's, you know, meaningfully higher than the flu. It's, it's not like, you know, SARS at, at 9% or MERS at 34% or Ebola at 50%, but it's probably somewhere around 1%. And, and that's, that's a bad thing. And it's, it is more communicable. So it is spreading faster. But, but what I'm talking about is the response is the problem the global response to this virus has been really unprecedented. And, and you know, we're, we're basically grinding economic activity to a halt in many places. And I, I'm not quite sure why the fear of this virus is so much higher. You know, there'll be 20,000 people as of today will have died from influenza. You know, we're at 4,600 with COVID, and, and that's a horrible number. And um, but 20,000 is a lot more. Um, I think I have. I think I have an explanation there. And yeah. Not many people talk about it, but it's this idea of a sleeping widow. Basically, you know, the widow spider comes around, and all of a sudden you could be camping, and then you get bit, and you have no idea, and then all of a sudden you're died. And so it's this idea where you can have it, you can have COVID-19 for two weeks, up to two weeks plus. And you don't know it because you're not sick. Whereas the flu, you pretty much know right away that you got it. Um, you start to feel like you got hit by a rail bus pretty quick. And I think it's this two-week kind of asymptomatic kind of period that I think has gotten people so concerned because you look at someone, you shake their hand, and you're like, well, wait a second, maybe they have it. They look fine. They yeah. don't seem like they're sick, but they it, could have it. It's true. It's true, but, but you know, flu is asymptomatic at the beginning too. And again, there are definitely differences. And, and I don't want to spend too much time on, on COVID because I think everybody's spending way too much time on it. Mm -hmm. and COVID is, is literally just the, the spark, right? right. It, it's, it's triggering these, these reactions. And whether that reaction was, was the massive clampdown in China, which has basically ground that, that uh, economy literally to a halt. You saw the PMIs literally fall yeah. off a cliff, you know, all-time low levels. And, and that's disrupted supply chains around the world. And, and now what we're doing is, you know, we were already in a trade war, right? And a trade war, contrary again to the tweeter in chief, the trade wars are easy to win. 
they're not, and, and they've never been a good idea. You know, smoot, holly, two words. Uh, trade wars have never been a good idea. And, and it's really eerie when you think about all the things that have happened in the past year are very, very similar to what happened in 1929. And, you know, everything from in 1929 and 30, you know, we rounded up Mexicans and we marched them physically back to Mexico. So there was this, there was this outrage about, about uh, illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. And uh, 500,000 people, including a bunch of American citizens, got sent back to Mexico, which is just crazy. But uh, you, know, you didn't have social media back then to make a big deal out of it, but it happened. And then you had Smoot-Hawley in 30. And, and the problem is, I call this kind of 1930 redo, uh, because the things that happened in 1930 turned a garden variety recession into the Great Depression. Mm-hmm. You know, we tightened liquidity, we panicked, you know, banks failed. Now, now the, the good news, if there can be some good news, and you saw the, the big bank heads That's on right. Capitol Hill yesterday, you know, they're saying, oh, we're perfectly fine, we have no leverage, it's right. not 2008. Uh, and, and I actually agree. The US banks are not as levered as they have been um, in the past. And that's partly because of, you know, look, the QE era was designed for one thing and one thing only, to get the bank balance sheets back to health. Had nothing to do with stimulating the economic growth, had nothing to do with increasing income equality. It had to do simply with rebalancing bank balance sheets, which didn't balance back in 2008, because of Lehman and Bayer and, and all these, these banks that, that just went way crazy on leverage 30, 40 times. Today, the problem is the European banks still have some leverage levels like that, Deutsche being the worst offender. Um, and so we've got this situation where the banks are not as leveraged, but there are other things that are more leveraged. Corporations have never been more leveraged. Yeah, let's never talk about ever. that. Let's talk about that. So the triple Bs out there are exceeding $3 trillion, correct? Yep, yep. How the hell did we all miss that? And I'm saying not, not you, not me, not everyone, but all of us <laughs> seem to just kind of bat a blind eye to that. How well, the hell did that happen? Oh, it, well, it, it happens because, look, when things are good, what do you do? You, you, you lower your threshold for um, every transaction. So, you know, when things are tough, when things are ugly, boy, you scrutinize every little thing. You look very intently before you act or before you deploy capital. When things are good, you're like, oh, the company doesn't have very good uh, coverage ratio. Oh, that's okay. We'll just, we'll just lighten up the covenants. Oh, how about, how about we put no covenants? Mm-hmm. Well, if a bond has no covenants, is it really a bond at all? Or is it just no. equity, right? And so, you know, private equity is partly to blame for this because private equity raised a ton of money. Um, and why did they raise a ton of money? Because look, if you're a, a big pension fund, uh, you know, multi-hundred billion dollar pension fund. And you look at the fact that bonds over the next coming decade are going to make low single digits. Because one thing we know for sure, David, it's very simple. Bonds over the forward 10 years make whatever their yield is on the day you buy the bond. Right? Mm-hmm. If you buy a 10-year bond and it yields 2%, you're not going to make six, you're not going to make one, you're going to make two. two. And that coupled with the fact that equities were at all-time record valuations, worse valuations than 2000, worse valuations than 29, 
and people justified them by saying, well, interest rates are low. Well, that's a circular argument because interest rates are low as a sign of economic weakness mm -hmm. in the future, not economic strength. High interest rates are a sign of economic strength. Low interest rates are a sign of economic weakness. So if you're going to have weakness in the future, if you're going to have low growth from working age population growth shrinkage, if you're going to have, you know, increased trouble because of, of massive debt, you know, the $3 trillion of, of debt. And here's a crazy stat, 40, 40% of companies in the S&P 1500, so, you know, the biggest 90 plus percent of market cap companies uh, in the index can't service their debt. Forget paying back the debt. They can't even cover the interest on their debt with their EBITDA. So we got to this point where, ever, where the leverage was so bad that all it took was a little bit of turndown for things to start getting ugly. And the problem with, with ugly markets is you get to a point where things are being liquidated, not because you want to sell them, have to. because you have to sell them. Yep. And that's where we are this morning. And and this is a this is a really really scary time because I remember back at, during the financial crisis I was on the desk with one of our our managers a credit manager, and and he was just he was just throwing pieces of paper across the desk at me saying look at this look at this no bids no bids I said what do you mean no bids He's like there are no bids for this bond wait are we seeing no bids again today oh yeah oh yeah 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 yeah. There, there are lots I of no bids. I remember the no bids. Oh, yeah, dear. look, look at look at some of the moves. I mean, again, we'll talk more about it later. But but look at Bitcoin, right? That's an example of of no bids. You don't drop twenty five percent in a single candle if they're a normal functioning bidding market. So no bids means that prices fall calamitously, and that's what we're seeing. But then what happens is those prices fall. And then the circuit breakers kick in in the traditional markets. Right. Well, if you can't sell your equities and you got a margin call because you're over levered and you borrowed too much money and you're a hedge fund or, you know, oh, God forbid you're a, a pension fund that tried to sell volatility because it was free money. Oh, that trade is on. And you said VIX is nearing all time highs again. Yep. So you got this confluence of events that leads to liquidations, which leads to a situation where the assets that you thought of were going to be safe havens, gold, gold miners, you know, um, you know, um, um, investment grade bonds. I mean, LQD, right? The investment grade bond ETF has gone down every day this week. It's down 7% as of yesterday, probably going to open down two or 3% today. Those are Investment grade bonds. Forget non-investment grade bonds because those have no bids. Right. So it's I remember a time. I remember 2008 too, and I know we both were there too. And I remember GE calling their credit facilities and saying, "What's going on? Can we get access?" And they said, "No." And that was GE right. back. Obviously, GE has obviously gone through some fractures at this point in time, and they've changed their company quite dramatically. But it was GE for God's sakes. Oh no no no! Look, and there are lots of examples of that going on literally today. as we speak. Look at look at the European banks. You know, they're gapping down massively. Why? Because they do have really, really levered balance sheets. And what happens in, in a situation where you go from a, you know, liquidity crunch to a liquidity crisis is people 
convert whatever they can to cash just to survive. And that's kind of what happens. And then it starts to escalate. And the only thing that can, can save it, right, is, is confidence. And the problem is confidence gets shaken when things start to really turn. And what, you know, historically over the last 10 years, we've believed, really 11 years, we've believed that at every downturn, the Fed or other central banks around the world had our back. And you know, the Fed put was, was you know, always there. But here's the funny thing. People just don't have a long memory. 85% of puts or options, and not just puts, puts and calls, 85% of options expire worthless. Everybody says, oh, that's a silly stat. Well, it's actually a true stat. Now, why is that stat? It's because option selling is really, really profitable business, as Goldman Sachs. Option buying is driven by emotions, not mathematics. People buy options based on emotions and they buy them at the wrong times because human beings do two things really well. We buy what we wish we would have bought and we sell what we're about to need. And we're really, really good at it. And so we pile into, you know, we set an all-time record for call options, naked call options, the last week of February. Literally, an all-time record. Crazy. Because we were buying what we wish we would have bought. And so what you have is, if you go back to 2000, everybody thought, oh, we got the Greenspan put, mm -hmm. and he'll save us. Right. Well, when valuations got to Stupidville, literally to levels that you know, Cisco was selling at 286 times earnings. That means $286 for every dollar. You have to live about 111 years to make a 10% return. Try to turn a dollar into 286. So it was a really bad price. Everybody thought it was gonna go up forever. If you bought Cisco, Intel, Microsoft, and Qualcomm on March 10th, 2000, and held them to today, you've lost money, okay? That's 20 years, that's a bad thing. So you had the Greenspan put. Everybody thought it could never, the market could never go down because the Greenspan had your back. Well, turns out that put expired worthless. The market went down 58%, peak to trough. NASDAQ went down 84%, peak to trough. Right. It was really pretty ugly. So then we had you know, all the bailouts and, and, and the banks got, got uh, reliquified and everything was great. And we were recovering into the, the, uh, the financial crisis bubble, the real estate bubble. And then in 2007, everybody said, oh, well, Bernanke's got our back and the Bernanke put will, will save us. And it turns out that it didn't save us mm -hmm. and the financials were way over levered and way overvalued. And they went down a lot, right? right? In fact, peak to trough, we went down about 63% this time. Right. The Bernanke put expired worthless. So, so now Powell... You know, we had the power, I mean, uh, we had the Yellen put and right. she got out of Dodge before it expired. Should have expired in 2015, but the Chinese stepped in with $4 trillion, with a T, mm -hmm. think about that, $4 trillion of stimulus back when they had $4 trillion and they saved the world. Right. So Yellen got off easy. Now Powell's in there and now everyone thinks, well, you got the Powell put. Well, the Powell put is expiring worthless as we speak. But now we've got another dirty little problem. Yeah. In the 2000s, indexing and passive wasn't a huge thing. It was starting to become a big thing, but it wasn't a huge thing. Yeah. And in 2007, it was bigger. But what does an index fund do, right? It buys things based on the market capitalization 
of the assets, which is a momentum strategy, right? You buy more of things as they become bigger and you sell things as they become smaller. That's a momentum strategy. Don't, don't call it anything else. It's a Momo. So what happens is you, you make sure that you're long the worst possible sector at the worst possible time. So in 2000, you're overweight tech, 2007, you're overweight financials, and today you're overweight tech again. And mm -hmm. you're overweight tech at, at levels, like here's a crazy stat. Apple made more money, more profit in the last two months than Amazon has ever made in 20 years. And I'm not saying Amazon's not a good company. I'm just saying that stockholders actually like to make money. So at some point you have to make money or you can't justify the valuations. So the valuations got again to Stupidville. People piled into the indices. And here's the crazy part, David. Okay, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more money that goes into the indexes, the higher they go, which begets more money, which begets higher prices. And so you get this reflexive, virtuous cycle and everybody thinks, oh, I'll just buy every dip and the Fed's got my back and, and it's all gonna continue to grow to the sky. But at some point, you get the catalyst. You get the, the event that catalyzes people to say, huh, okay, right, buying Hormel Foods, okay, that makes spam, that has negative year over year revenue growth, probably isn't worth 31 times earnings. Right. That's a bad idea. So let me ask you, so the tenure, the tenure is at uh, 0.6 right now. And talking yep. about Powell, Powell obviously did the panic 50, uh, 50 basis points about a week and a half ago. I can't even remember how long ago it was. It felt yep. like a month ago, but it was only yep. a month and a half ago. And that obviously did not do very well for the market. Nope. And so you and I both remember the bazooka moment, Hank with his bazooka, you know, saying, you know, at any moment in time, you could use it and kind of change the the, uh, the the landscape in 2008-9, yep. you know, are there any more bazookas left or are we going to see, fisc you know, obviously we've been talking about fiscal, you know, yeah. instead of monetary now, yeah. you know, so what are we looking at? Yeah, the problem is you can't fix a solvency crisis with liquidity. And that's, and that's where we are, right? The, the market's already priced short-term rates at zero. I mean, if I, I, I'm going to say, pal, maybe as we're speaking, is going to come out and cut 100 basis points. He has no choice. He, he can't wait for the meeting. He's got to do it. I think he's got to do it today. Maybe he does it tomorrow or the next day, but I think he's got to do it today. The market's already done it for him. He has no choice. And, and I've been saying this for a while, and people have been looking at me funny for a while, that, that rates everywhere were going to zero. Are we going negative? They're going negative. And why is that? It's because of demographics. Okay. As people age, and when, especially when they turn 65 to 85, they don't consume as much, they save more, and they buy bonds, which means there's a demand increase. The other problem you have is governments like to spend, and they spend like crazy, particularly when you have super divided politics like we have today. We have the most polarized uh, politics in the history of the United States, left versus right. And I would say there is no left or right. There's no Democrats, there's no Republicans. There's in and out. And when you're in, you do or say whatever it takes to stay in. When you're out, you do or say whatever it takes to get in. And that's all it is. And so people are promising everything, like this payroll tax cut idea, okay? That's 1.1 trillion. And again, trillion. Mm -hmm. We say that word and people don't even get upset. A trillion is a dollar a second 
for 31,710 years. That's a freaking huge amount of money. Wow. So that's another trillion on top of the trillion we already have. And what will people do with that? Well, unfortunately, they're going to pay down some debt because everybody got a, a you know, subprime auto loan and they're underwater. Here's a crazy stat. 38% of new car loans today start at over 100%, have negative equity on day wow. one. Crazy stat. And so people are up against the wall. Companies are up against the wall. And any sort of stimulus actually doesn't get put into the economy. The other problem is how do you stimulate an economy if you've shut down economic activity? Italy's closed bars and restaurants. We just restricted travel. I mean, restricting travel from Europe to the United States makes absolutely no sense. The virus is already here. It didn't mm -hmm. come from Europe. It came from China. It, I mean, and it, it's so insane, especially because we left the UK out so people just fly through London. Now I guess right. we can block their passport, but the whole thing is insane. It's, it's, it's like the story of Singapore with Japan. Remember Singapore was worried about Japan invading and they thought mm -hmm. they would come by, by ship. So they built these giant guns at the end, end of the isthmus and they pointed them out to sea. Well, the Chinese came up and said, huh, those are kind of big guns. Well, we'll park the ships over here and we'll march around and we'll invade them from the back and took over Singapore. So the guns were pointed the wrong way. And that's what we're doing now. The reaction from the current administration, I mean, they were abysmal to start with. This has been bordering on comical. I can't laugh though. Um... No, I know, I know. It's, it's, it's not a laughing matter, and I don't mean it in a flippant way. Oh, I know. I mean it I in the sense of, of look, if you, if you didn't prepare for this, right? Why did Warren Buffett have the highest level of cash he's ever had? Higher than the global financial crisis because he, like some other smart investors, you know, Julian Robertson, my friend and mentor, you know, I would call him friend. I mean, he's, we're friendly and I get to see him a lot and he has, he has been a mentor for 20 years, but you know, he's got the highest level of cash he's ever had. Right. He's, he's a genius investor. Well, but then why did Warren tell everybody last May to buy index funds? That makes no sense. If you've got the highest level of cash in history, why are you telling other people to buy index funds? That's a, that's really kind of silly. So if you didn't prepare in advance, now you're stuck in this really terrible conundrum where things are starting to melt and we've got this you know literally meltdown moment mm -hmm. where the reactor temperature is reaching critical and you've got the switch and you got to make the decision do i pull the switch and shut the reactor down and just get out and go to cash now or do i worry that everyone's going to criticize me because the power is going to go out and people are going to freak and people are going to say, oh, you know, this is what happened last time and you missed the big dip and, right. and uh, you know, you're going to be sorry when, when everything goes back up. Yeah, that has That's to do a lot with everyone's duration risk too, obviously, as you know. Obviously, yeah. if you're in this for 15 to 20 year outlook, then this is, you know, a different viewpoint than someone who might be closer to retirement who's worried about capital preservation. And so obviously there are different risk factors that are associated. Amen. Amen. And, and that's why... You know, it's interesting when you're young, right? And I mean young, like 25, 30, 35, 40. When you're young, your asset allocation, I think, should be really, really um, 
aggressive. Now, I don't use that term in, in a negative sense. I mean, it should be aggressive in the sense of you should seek volatility. You should seek volatile assets. You should seek illiquid assets. You should have lots of private equity, lots of real estate, lots of cryptocurrencies, lots of things that have super high volatility because you can't touch the money for years and years and years. And your fixed income allocation is the future income you're going to earn from your job. Mm -hmm. So as you age, right, when you reach 60s, now you need to start thinking about diversification. You need to have a little bit of cash and bonds to pay your, your living expenses, but you still need an equity orientation. But then it should be a little bit of, of liquid equities in addition to, to public equities. The problem is people don't stay disciplined in their rebalancing. So if your strategic target was 60-40, and the market goes up 30%, the equity market goes up 30%, you're supposed to sell equities. But no one did that. Everyone let it ride. And they said, oh, this party is going to go on forever. And now we're finding that, look, crises always occur when you're not expecting it. It's always the bullet you don't see that kills you in battle. And yeah, if you would have told me that a bat bites a civet or a pangolin, and someone actually eats one of those things, I actually showed pictures of these on Tuesday at, at my uh, webinar, whoever would eat those out of, out of their minds, but someone did. And you got this, this virus and then it, it you know, mutated and went human to human. And now it gets passed from one province to another. And then someone gets on an airplane fleeing China because they're afraid of the pandemic and they bring it over to Washington state and then it gets into a nursing home. Well, look, that happens and no one predicted it. No one anticipated it. But again, it's not the actual COVID-19 illness that's causing the problem. The problem is the reaction, right? We just suspended the NBA season. We just yep. you know, canceled all of the, the people attending NCAA events. Now, what I find curious about that is the recovery rate for sub-60 is about 99.96%, right? You know, not, not mm -hmm. real high risk factor. You got a higher risk factor getting hit by a car, getting struck by lightning. Still non-zero risk, but it's not a very high risk. So that makes no sense to me. For people who are at risk, right? People in retirement communities, long-term care facilities, you know, my parents who are in their 80s, yeah, we need to be vigilant. We need to make sure that, that maybe they do a little social distancing, but, you know, canceling classes at college, right? that doesn't make a lot of sense. But what it does do is it grinds economic activity to a halt, which means on top of the problems that we have in the short term, future earnings are going down as we speak, which means stocks are not as cheap as people think they are. Then you've got the problem that the recovery is going to take longer. And now, as I said, the real problem is if you can hold to your point, if you have a 15 year time horizon, go buy the cruise lines here all day long, buy the airlines all day long. If you have a 15 minute time horizon, you might be in trouble. You have a 15 day time rising. You might be in trouble. If you've got a 15 year time rising, easy money. Right. But anyway. Yeah. And a good point in time to say, obviously, you know, the opinions here are not investment advice. I'm sure Mark would appreciate that too. For yeah. anyone who yeah. is thinking about the market right now, obviously consult, you know, people like Mark or your internal people there. Um, but you know, it is a, it is a valid point, obviously that, you and I both know this. We've known our fair share of the high net worths from the family offices out there. When things get bad, and I can't remember the direct quote. I think it might be from Buffett. 
but when there's fear in the market, you should be greedy. Um, and so obviously there are people out there that are going to, and I've seen this time and time again, there are people who are going to profit. And I know that's a terrible word to say when people are dying, people are sick, but there are people who are going to profit from this. Correct. Absolutely. Oh, lots and lots. And, and thing there are in every crisis, there are things that you should do. In fact, the Chinese character for crisis, right? is actually two characters. If you write it in, in uh, Mandarin, you get two characters, one for danger, one for opportunity. And there is massive danger out there, right? There are, there are stocks that are wildly overvalued that you should be short, you know, the cannabis stocks. You should be short those things because, you know, I think the equity could be, you know, worth close to zero. They don't have a lot of cash uh, or they don't, they don't have a lot of revenues. They have, you know, really, really high valuations, craziness. And, and there are lots of examples of that. Um, all the fad stocks that are out there. There are also stocks out there, like I said, the cruise lines and, and others that have been decimated down 50, 60, 70, 80%. Look at the energy space. Okay, we're, we're reaching the down 90% rule. Anytime something goes down 90%, you should take a look at it. Now, the problem in energy, some large percentage of those companies the equity is worthless. What you want to do is buy the bonds at a discount. And then uh, those are going to be new equity after the restructuring because they, they had too much debt. And so it's all about being focused on where is the value in the capital structure of the business? Where is the value in the markets? Where are people fleeing? To your point about, about be greedy when others are fearful. When everyone's puking something and you can identify the inherent value of that asset, and that's actually a pretty easy exercise if, if you're diligent and do your work, that, that then you can, you can find things to, to buy. But the, the real problem we have right now is fear. And fear manifests itself in panic activity and herd behavior. That then manifests itself in these gap movements, which creates more fear. And that gets you to these no bid moments where people are looking at going, hmm, it's cheap now, but it'll be cheaper tomorrow and cheaper after that. And actually, I, to your point, I can profit from this because I took the other side early. I was prepared. I'm short this. And there was a great line. I actually retweeted it today that uh, I just thought was awesome. Someone said that, you know, not everyone can have cash in advance. And no one is compelled to buy your bad word stuff. Um, <laughs> at any price, right? They can wait and they can wait and they can wait and they can pay a very, very low price. And, and that's where we, we are. And, and you don't normally get to that point. So that's really, this is a historic day for us to be having this conversation. And it's just yes. kind of weird and lucky that, that it happened this way. Um, but this is one of those days we will read about in the textbooks in the future. Um, it's, it's very similar to those periods in 2008. It's very similar to those periods in 2000. It's very similar to the periods in 1973. It's very similar to periods in 1968. I mean, it's not new. And as I said, I, I'm concerned that actually, and I actually wrote a, a, a long letter about this two years ago, right after Trump got elected. I wrote a piece that, that talked about, it was called Welcome to Hooverville. Mm -hmm. It basically talked about how, for the first time since Herbert Hoover, we had a president with no experience and that we were on the verge of, of this environment like 
1929 where valuations were absurd. And once things cracked, the reactions, not the event itself, but the reactions from an inexperienced administration would exacerbate the problems. And look, I was early and it's, you know, Roger Babson, famous Roger Babson who called the crash in 1929, right? He said that a crash is coming and it could be terrific. Now, the mm. problem is he said that the first time in 1927, and then the market went up. And he said it again in 1928, and market went up. And he said it again in 1929. And he said, as I said last year and the year before, and everybody said, oh, but you're wrong. You were wrong before, so you're wrong now. Being wrong before doesn't make you wrong now. Right. And that's where people kind of lose their minds a little bit, is they, they won't listen to the logic and say, look, Markets can behave irrationally. That's what happened in 1928 and 29. And then Babson was right that for every reaction, there's an equal and opposite reaction. He was a big Newton file. And he believed that the bigger the bubble, the bigger the crash. And so we did have a big crash, but it was only a medium-sized crash into 1930 until right they, they really turned through bad reactions like Smoot Hawley and others um, into a really bad event. So I, I think we're already seeing it and you know, trying to close off borders and restrict global trade and nationalism and populism. Mm -hmm. All those things are negative for profits. They're negative for leverage ratios. They're negative for the value that we all ascribe to living in a global borderless world. And the thing that, you know, we all look forward to in the future, you know, with, with crypto and, and other digital assets that we know are coming. Um, and, and we'll have this conversation again, you know, some number of years from now, and there'll be a similar type of event. But instead of stocks and bonds crashing, it'll be crypto assets that are crashing. And all crypto means is cryptographically secure and traded, you know, 24-7 digitally instead of electronically or, or analog paper to paper. So lots of stuff going on. Yes. And, and so I, I think what would be great to wrap up, and I know you got a busy day ahead of you. Everyone does. Um, there are people who listen, obviously, that are running family offices, that are running institutions, yeah. and I know they appreciate your words on this and the experience that you yield on it. But there are also people who are building companies in the digital asset framework that may not have experienced this, that may not have been on a desk in 08 and have seen Lehman bear Yep. all collapse basically around the same day. And I've said this time and time again, especially within the DeFi space, there are a lot of founders out there that are brilliant, 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 brilliant people out there. But if you haven't really lived it, if you haven't experienced it, if you haven't seen what a limit down is, if you haven't seen a circuit breaker trip, it's different than reading it in an academic textbook. And so for the people that are listening right now that are building these companies, that are concerned that don't know what the hell is going on, Mark. Yep. Can you give them a little bit of a, you know, just the next six months. And I'm not saying I want you to project. I'm not asking you to project what the market's going to do, what the right. world's going to do. But I think experience the ones that you have, the ones that other people have, we know that it's going to end and it's going to be okay at the end of the day. It's going to be rough, but I'm sure there's some, you know, a little bit of experience leading to guidance if you will, just for those people that are listening right now that are like, what is this all about? 
just give them a short little blip about, you know, kind of what, you know, you, you think is going to happen in the next six to 12 months. Yeah. It's, it's such a beautifully important question. Uh, and it's, it's exactly the, the thing to be talking about here. And, 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 you know, the first point is, is King Solomon's, you know, um, court was right, right? He, he challenged them to find one statement that would always and forever be true. This too shall pass. So yes, this too shall pass. We will emerge from this crisis. We will be stronger for it. That which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Uh, are there going to be companies that go out of business in this downturn? Yes. Are there funds that are going to be liquidated? It's happening as you and I are talking. Uh, yes. Uh, are, are, is there going to be pain? Yes. Are people going to lose fortunes? Yes. All those things are going to happen. But we will endure and we will persevere. So my advice to, to everyone, including myself, is one, right? Be calm, be reasoned, be rational, but be deliberate and act. And everything you can do today to increase liquidity, to decrease leverage, to increase flexibility, to give yourself more time, because this is all about time. Time heals everything. The virus, time. We're already seeing it in China. The number of new cases are going down. The number of deaths are falling. It's all about time. Viruses have a finite life. They die. And they die as temperatures rise, they die as they burn themselves out, as the R0 gets different, as the immunity and the community builds up. So time and financial crises dissipate with time. And so the only thing that gives you time is control of what you can control. Control of your burn, control of your, um, your strategy and your focus. Um, communication, over-communicate with your clients, with your peers, with your partners, um, and really focus on, on remaining calm, not giving in to the panic, staying true to a discipline, right? Having a discipline uh, in terms of thinking about investing, which means rebalancing, which means, you know, being cautious in the short term. And one thing I say in, in these types of environments is, is, don't try to be a hero and catch falling knives. You know, there's, there's the great line, you know, of uh, or a picture of Paul Tudor Jones sitting in his college dorm room with the, with the sign above his desk saying, losers average losers. And, uh, you know, the inverse of that is winners press winners. And so it's really hard discipline to focus on here, but you shouldn't be, you know, trying to average down you're losing positions, you should just get out. You know, the first loss is the best loss. Right. And take the loss, admit you were wrong and, and move on. Then recollect your thoughts in a, again, calm manner when you're not under stress and redeploy capital into pockets of value. And you know, Soros was famous for doing this. Every once in a while, he'd walk in on a Monday morning and say, uh, or maybe it was Steinhardt, I think it was Steinhardt actually. Steinhardt would walk in on a Monday morning and say, okay, I sold everything over the weekend. So you have cash. So now what are you going to do? And people are like, what do you mean you sold my best ideas? I'm like, hey, sorry, you got cash. Start <laughs> over. And I think that's what you have to do here. You just got to start over. You got you to have a clean slate. You got to have a um, measured path to success. And that success is, again, implementing on your strategic plan, um, focusing on not 
having margin calls because you got too much debt, uh, not running out of cash if you're trying to build a, a startup business. And look, the builders in the crypto space, they're going to change the world. They're literally going to change the world. This is the biggest wealth creation opportunity I'll probably see in my lifetime, although I want to live a long time. Um, but I, I, I absolutely believe that we, and we can do this on another day, um, on another pod, is what's happening in, in the blockchain technology innovation world is truly world changing. Web 3.0 will be bigger than Web 1.0, be bigger than Web 2.0. It's an exponential growth opportunity. And the people that are building, whether it's in the DeFi space or whether it's in the um, you know, uh, crypto asset space or the exchange space, all these things are gonna continue to be necessary. Is it gonna get set back today when Bitcoin is crashing and people don't understand why? Absolutely. Are going to people lose confidence? Absolutely. Does that mean you have to hunker down and be resolute and, and firm? Absolutely. And look, perseverance and persistence are superpowers. And those who can, who can get there um, are going to win. And so my last little piece of advice is get away from the desk, take a walk, go work out, meditate, stay fresh, Stay strong, eat right, get good sleep. Do not get run down. Do not act on emotion. Act out of logic and plan and thought, and you'll be a lot better off. Wise, wise words from Mark Yusko, CEO and CIO of Morgan Creek, someone who has, as I said, decades of experience on a very, very important historic day, as Mark alluded to, one that we will remember and one that will be in financial textbooks and other textbooks throughout the next 10, 20, 30 years. Mark, thank you so much for coming on, and we will be catching up with you soon. Uh, David, thanks for having me. It's always great to, to catch up and really appreciate you uh, putting this important piece of content out at exactly the time it's going to be needed. So thanks for having me.